My name is Alexa Garand. I've called Blacknall home for about 20 years. Um, my husband and I have welcomed four children into this faith family of ours. Um, I love looking around and seeing how each of you have been part of my family's lives. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, I'm just gonna jump right in. Today we're gonna be talking about Hebrews 11. We've been focusing the whole semester on Hebrews. And it is a dense book. It is a powerful book, power-packed. And I somehow chose the longest chapter for what is my first time to teach at Women's Bible Study in 12 years. The last time I spoke, I had just found out days beforehand that I was pregnant with my daughter, Greta. So I was distracted <laughs> a little then. Um, but today, I hope that I am actually not distracted at all. I hope that I am fully focused and available for you, for God's word, for truth. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this word available lately, almost as much as I've been thinking about the word faith, which I'm going to be saying a lot with you and to you today. Ah, so when Becky asked if I would teach last semester, I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not available. And um, she asked again at the beginning of this semester, and I thought, uh, is it that I'm not available? I mean, I'm really busy, we're all really busy, but I think actually it's more like, I don't feel like I'm able, I'm not capable. But the way that Becky asked, as she does, I knew it was impossible to say no. I got a small taste of what then confronted me just a few weeks later after I said yes. I was actually visiting colleges with my oldest, um, who is in high school. And um, we were uh, visiting a campus where there was a guest pastor speaking. And he was actually at this point talking about um, returning to the promised land and the Israelites and how scared they were about confronting and conquering their promised land, Jericho. And what he said at that time got me. I wrote it down. He had lots of quotable quips. And I'm sure I would have just, you know, closed my notebook and stuck it up on a shelf when I got home and uh, maybe wouldn't have pulled it out again. But what he said came back to haunt me two days later when I did get home. He said, God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I thought a little bit about that over a period of a few minutes. I got distracted while he was talking, thinking about that, thinking about this talk. This talk came to mind. And then I tucked it away. And I got home. And I had a stack of mail a few days later. And I opened it up, and there was one really thin piece of paper folded in thirds. And it said, Office of the Sheriff. Hmm, what could this be? I opened it up. And it was a summons for jury duty the day before this talk. 
And so there, my future on this beautiful April day was hung in a balance for a period of time. And I wondered, huh, here, I was concerned that I might not be able, but at least, Lord, I am willing and available. Oh, wait, maybe I'm not even available. Well, I checked the recording the day before yesterday, and it turns out I was not needed, and I'm so glad to be here. But I'm also really glad about this word that the Lord, I feel like, has given me and put on my heart. And I'm actually going to hold it closely along with the word faith that we're going to be talking about today, because faith is one of those words that if you've been a believer for a long time, can kind of come and go. There are moments where you probably feel like you catch a very clarity a very clarifying glimpse of what faith is. And then there are other moments where you wonder, did it almost slip through your hands what the meaning of the word is? Okay, all of that was unscripted. Well, almost all of it. But um, I want to go back to this word availability for a minute. So I looked up avail. I just wanted to see what the dictionary definition of it was, and it was to use or benefit. So I want you to just keep this in mind as we talk today, that availability isn't just, you know, something passive, like, oh, am I available? Uh, Let me look at my calendar and see if I have space for that. Think of availability as faith in action when we're talking about it in a biblical sense, okay? So just keep that in mind. Availability, faith in action. Okay. All right, I do have one caveat as I'm talking today, um, other than what I just shared. Everything else I have curated for what I'm going to share with you. Um, One of my favorite writers of a children's series called The Green Ember, his name is S.D. Smith, um, children's author. And uh, so if you have kids like between third grade and sixth grade, I think you'd love his Green Ember books. They're about battling bunnies in the face of foes um, and fighting for good and things that are worthwhile. And um, I actually got to hear him speak a number of years ago at a conference, and he talked about um, the differences between being a critic, a creator, and a curator. And at the time, I thought, really, original ideas, that's where it's at. And I really appreciated that talk that day because I feel like he gave legs to being something that I had not previously embraced. Now, It's important, discernment is very, very important, but what he was talking about as a critic is like being a complainer. Okay, now, in Psalms, when we hear the Psalms of laments, those are not complaints. Those are cries out for the Lord and who he is, a belief in who he is. Um, But what uh, S.D. Smith was talking about here, he was saying, you know, when it comes to critics, those complainers, We have an overabundance and oversupply of those, okay? Think about being a creator or a curator. And I thought, I don't know if I can be a a creator at the time. My kiddos were quite little. I felt spent and dry. But a curator? Oh, I love the idea of that. I love books, for instance. So collecting all these books and putting them on a shelf, that sounded great. So I want to let you know that today I am embracing that role as a curator. Nothing I'm going to say is original. Um, It has come from theologians and commentaries and some Bible teaching, including a lot of Jen Wilkins. So now if you go and listen to or watch her video, um, you'll just hear a lot of the same things that I'm going to say. She said it first. I'm copying her 
I'm curating what she had to say, okay? All right, so just know that um, any insights or interpretations you hear about anything, they are not my own, and while um, we proclaim God's truths, um, these are found in Scripture. And if there's anything that I say that is not in line with truth that comes to your mind, please let me know, follow up with me, and please do not let it cause you to stumble in any way whatsoever. Okay, I'm going to move on and I'm going to get a little faster. Because as we know about the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, it's sort of like that big, long cross-country trip that I took this past summer with my kiddos. We drove all the way from here to California, up north, and all the way back around again in our blue minivan. And we played a lot of games along the way and spent a lot of time doing things like the alphabet game. Do you guys remember playing the alphabet game when you were little or maybe with your own children once upon a time? You look for billboards and license plates for letters of the alphabet in order. Now, um, as we were going through Kansas and Colorado and Utah on these back roads, sometimes the billboards and even license plates of other vehicles were few and far between, between. And so we would rest on these letters, letters of the alphabet that we knew well. And I sort of feel like by now, this is really unique that we get to be at this point in time at the beginning of chapter 11 in Hebrews because for these first 10 chapters, we've, we've just gotten to stare at these billboards for a while, right? Okay, so let's think a little bit about those. The first one that we're coming to um, of the chapter is um, the one about how Jesus is superior to angels. Okay, so that's in chapters one and two. All right, and then um, let's move to the next letter of the alphabet, letter B. Um, in chapters three through five, we learn how Jesus is superior to Moses as the revealer of God's will. And, um, and then that Jesus is superior to the Sabbath. That's there also in chapters three through five. And that the rest and future hope, the salvation that Jesus invites us into, is superior even to the Israelite Sabbath. Okay, then we move on to chapters 6 and 7. So would this be, what, letter C of the alphabet? Are we only at letter C? <laughs> and, um, and this is when um, he talks about how um, Jesus is superior to the priests. He is the superior priest because he didn't need to offer a sacrifice for himself. He lived a blameless, fully human life on our behalf. He was the ultimate priest, unlike the Israelite priests who had to sacrifice again and again and again on their own behalf because they were not perfect and on the part of all the people. Okay, and then finally, chapters 8 through 10, sacrifices. The author moves on to his last climactic argument, which is that Jesus' death on the cross is superior to the animal sacrifices offered in the temple, that they had to be offered time and time again, but Jesus offered his life once and for all. So not only the ultimate priest, but the ultimate sacrifice. Which brings us almost to Hebrews 11. I'll get there. All right. So if we just take a step back and think to what um, Christy talked to us a little bit about uh, a few weeks ago when we last met, we know that um, we talked about Christian community. 
and how that Christian perseverance is a community endeavor. Okay, those um, letters of the alphabet, well, before we maybe we go there, I want you to think big um, about this Christian perseverance as a community endeavor. We're not just talking about those here in this room today. We're talking about all the saints, all the saints here, all the saints all around the world, and all the saints who have come before us. I love this idea about we're about ready to go into this procession of faith. I can't help but think about it, and I know some of you know I'm often drawn to tears during a profession, um, a procession of faith that happens every Sunday morning when we are here at Blacknall as we watch saint after saint approach the altar in full body, mind, and spirit to receive the body and blood of Christ. And I can't help but think of all the saints that have come before us. I think of Joe Oldham. I think of Roland Wilkins. I could go on and on. Um, But I also do think about my grandparents, the great-great-grandparents that I never met. And today we get to go all the way back to the very beginnings of Scripture, all the way back to Genesis. All right, one more thing, and then I'm going to pick up my pace, and I'm going to talk fast. So that's why I'm trying to be slow right now, and I will try to enunciate my words. All right, so that alphabet game. Um, I don't know if we were actually playing the alphabet game at this point on that cross-country drive, but at one point we pulled in and through Las Vegas. All right, things changed drastically at that point. All of a sudden, there were signs everywhere, and lots of things everywhere. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it was like as if we were playing the alphabet game that was moving at this nice, slow pace. But then all of a sudden, we're looking left, we're looking right, we're like billboards and signs are whoosh, whoosh, whooshing past us. But you know what? We've known and recited that alphabet as long as we can remember. We know the order that it comes in. If I see a V at the end, I know, oh, wait, we're only on J. That's all right. Um, I also am not that confused, looking to the left, looking to the right, as we're going to kind of do today, because we're going to go way back into Genesis, Exodus, and Joshua, and yet then we're going to come right back forward again as we walk through this hall of faith in Hebrews 11. You think you can do that with me? Left, right, left, right, left, right. See these letters of the alphabet? And the funny thing is, I don't know if this happening anywhere else in the Bible. Someone can let me know if this is the case afterward. I love that the author of this book at one point is like, you know what, I don't even have any more time. I can't even go on anymore. So he doesn't even go through the alphabet. He gets to like the letter V. All right, so let's see how far we can get today. All right, so go ahead and open up your Bibles if you haven't already. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Um, If I refer to anything else, it might be in the NIV because that's what I'm typically used to, but wanted to go through this since that's what we're using for this study. All right, so we're um, turning to Hebrews 11. Okay. And feel free to follow along with your finger, um, or if it is just easier for you to focus by looking up here, that's okay too, all right? Um, But I may go like this as I'm reading scripture so that you know when I'm reading it, if that's helpful for you to look down. Hebrews 11, starting with verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so these are those words. Already right here, words like faith and grace, sanctification, they can kind of get a little fuzzy sometimes, right? Let's break it down a little bit. 
I want you to know that biblical faith here is not just belief or a mental state of mind. Biblical faith is belief in action. As one um, commentary put it, faith with footsteps. That's how you can think of it. Now, depending on uh, which version, uh, translation of the Bible that you have, there might be some different um, ways that uh, this definition, this working definition of faith goes. Um, I'm going to try to pronounce my Greek that I don't know at all. Um, but in Greek, faith is the upostasis of things hoped for and the elenkos of things not seen. So if you have the ESV or the NIV or the NAS, that will sound like faith is the assurance, confidence, assurance or confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But you may also have um, the King James Version, for instance, which faith is the substance or reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And welcome to the many translations. <laughs> of the Bible, and I think that's exciting and okay that there may be different ways of interpretation. It's an opportunity for us to think and experience the word and try to interpret it together. Okay, now it's the second definition I really want to focus on here, that faith is not just a mental state that you get yourself into, it's an experience. You get a taste of the things that you are hoping for. Hope, and what is hope? Well, it's not about present reality. No, you're looking toward the future, right? Okay. All right, so let's move on a little bit more now. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so here we see, like the New Testament, that the Old Testament, um, we were saved by grace through faith. And it's the same formula now. The thing that is different about it is that they, in the past, had the shadow and we have the substance, right? So they had a partial knowledge that they were looking forward to that fulfillment, and we have the full knowledge of it, and we are looking back on it, expressing faith. But no one has ever been saved by any means other than grace, grace through faith, no matter before or after the cross. Now, starting in verse 4, Okay, he's going to walk, the author is going to walk through um, the audience methodically, starting with Genesis 1-1, all the way through the Old Testament histories, okay? So here we are in Genesis chapter 4, and remember, these ancient, um, this ancient people group, uh, that they were um, part of the budding Christian church, and they were steeped in knowledge and the traditions of the Old Testament, and of Jewish history. Okay, so Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay, so the story of Cain and Abel can be disconcerting for multiple reasons. You could probably think of some. One is that when you read the account about them giving their offerings, it doesn't seem like there's any good reason why one is rejected and the other is accepted. You read it and you think, well, 
okay, maybe it's because Abel brought animals and Cain brought the harvest. Uh, well, um, but then when you look at their occupations, they brought what was appropriate to what they did. But here, we don't have to wonder why. Here, we know. Um, it might appear as if their offering is the same, but it's not. It's kind of like I remember when I was a little girl and I wouldn't be able to sleep and out of anxiety, I would say something to my mom, and she would come and sit down by my bed and say, um, well, if you just lie still with your eyes closed, it's the same thing as being asleep. <laughs> and maybe to, for, to her as a parent of young children, it, to her it did seem like that. <laughs> um, but if, if any of you have had any problems over the years with sleep or sleep deprivation, you know that laying still with your eyes closed, lying still with your eyes closed, is not the same thing as restorative sleep, especially in those moments when your heart might be pounding, your mind is racing, your palms are sweating, even just over the idea that you have not slept, right? Okay. Well, um, I'm thinking about this as Cain and Abel each offered what appeared to be the same kind of sacrifice. So these two gifts appear the same, but they aren't. And God accepted the sacrifice of Abel and rejected the sacrifice of Cain. It's what Cain lacked and that Abel possessed, faith. The sacrifice of Abel, according to this passage, was a sacrifice that was offered in faith, which means that the sacrifice of Cain was offered in some form other than faith, of unbelief. He is not taking God for who he is. He has transactional expectations of God. I have followed the rule. Therefore, well, God, don't you owe me something? I mean, something in return? And when he finds that his system is not God's system, well, let's just say things don't go well. Okay. All right. We're going to go move ahead. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Okay, now the earlier chapters in the Bible make us uncomfortable at times because they're warnings. I'll admit, I get uncomfortable reading some of these things, like the first murder <laughs> that we come to know, or in this case, someone while they're still alive being taken up to heaven. I just can't wrap my brain around it, okay? We don't know a lot about um, the life of Enoch, but by the genealogies, we do know that Noah is recorded to be his great-grandson. And we know that Enoch was set apart because he was someone who walked righteously, which tells us that that was quite unusual for his time. We would extrapolate that. So um, note that before he was taken, that's when he was commended as having pleased God. Did you notice that, the timing of it? So now the author of Hebrews is going to build on this idea of having pleased God. And it was during his lifetime, during his lifetime, that he pleased God. All right, so let's follow up with that. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, if it is true that without faith, it is impossible to please God, what is the inverse of that statement? Well, with faith, it is possible to please the Lord. Hallelujah. This is where a response comes, a joyful obedience out of gratitude, a desire to bring pleasure to, for instance, the parent, like Abel's sacrifice. But what if it's a child who doesn't trust in the love of a parent? 
What does that unbelief in the love of the parent translate into? A desire to earn through obedience. It's funny, but that was the very first in my, in my early 20s, the very first scripture passage I learned that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not by works. I'm glad, actually, that was the first one I learned. A connection can be made between unbelief and legalism, Cain and his works. And a connection can be made between belief and joyful obedience out of a gratitude that pleases the Lord. Abel's sacrifice, that's what sanctification does. It turns us into those who want to please him. So if you have to believe that he, so you have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is a simple acknowledgement. When we seek to please the Lord through joyful obedience, that joyful obedience is its own reward. It doesn't mean that you won't have to, that you won't have persecution and trial as we shall see, but it means that you will not heap negative consequences on yourself that are the result of your own sin. I've been working through Proverbs, the whole book of Proverbs, with a seventh grade class this academic year, and I will tell you, it is fascinating to see how they see things in black and white. And I have learned that there is a big difference between folly and trial. Folly belongs to fools. Now, there are times where we are all a fool and the Lord welcomes us in. But as I have seen (laughs) in the eyes of the children, these seventh graders, do not, like that is just not something that you want to do. If there are going to be trials, there better be good reason for it. It shouldn't be something that you're going to be getting yourself into. Don't be foolish, they would say. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by gods concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, now in this case, people thought he thought Noah was foolish. But he built that boat in the desert. And as far as we know, he didn't question God. And why? Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for and for the conviction of things not seen. And he was asked by God to build the ark, and he was being faithful, faithful in his footsteps, faithful in action. He was righteous in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. All right, and then we move on to the story from Noah in Genesis 6 to the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. Okay, we'll start at verse 8. And through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, so could he see that city? No, it was unseen. But he believed that God who was who he said he was. And so he wanted to please him. And so he did what God asked him to do. Okay, now let's take a moment and look at his wife, Sarah. Okay, it says in verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful 
who had promised. You kind of wondered the timing a little bit there. It was after she passed the point of being able to conceive in life. Well, I think the reader is being very generous and kind, not mentioning that for most of her life, unbelief was what she was battling. And finally, at a point at which she could have thought there was no more hope, wow, he made a miracle. He brings life from what is dead. Let's go to verse 11 to 16. Therefore, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Okay, wow. All right. They died in faith, not having received the things promised. What was promised to Abraham? Land, descendants, all nations being blessed by him. But he dies a wanderer. He has one child from a union with Sarah. The conquest of Canaan doesn't happen for another 500 years, and yet he's commended because he put his faith in what was not seen. He put his faith in what he believed the Lord would do. He was willing to do hard things because he was looking toward good things to come. Okay, now we need to stop here for a moment. Remember, we're in the book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is of this book, but we do know that he firsthand was close to the circle of apostles and disciples of Christ. These people that the author is talking to are experiencing hard things, okay? They were dealing with persecution, and um, let's see, they had been robbed, they had been jailed, They had had things stripped and taken away from them. These are things that we just know from the beginning of the chapter, or of of this book. Ha, so they're starting to think about this. Hmm, do we look like Abraham who believed, or like Israel who did not believe? All right, we're going to hear a little bit more about Abraham here in verse 17. And now this, otherwise, if we were looking left and right, this would be Genesis chapter 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So he's offering him up, and it says in verse 18, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, what did Abraham believe? that no matter what happened when they went to that place and he raised the knife, that he was bringing the boy back alive. That's what he believed. Um, If you look back at the original language, it's actually even used in the verb form. What he's saying is, we'll be back. He's saying as he walks off with Isaac, not I'll be back, but we'll be back. We'll come back here. Whether the Lord stayed his hand or whether the Lord raised him from the dead. Abraham was unwavering, and his belief that his child would live was there. 
Abraham placed his faith in the God of resurrection power. And so even when he couldn't see how God would solve the conundrum, he knew that he would. All right. And then we hear about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the whole rest of the book of of Genesis in verse 20 through 22. Okay, so now we're going to really start zooming right through. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made a mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Okay, now we might be thinking, okay, we're just glossing all of this over all of this, but think about with every person mentioned, it's almost like a well-worn or loved book that you have. And it's probably was maybe even a book that was given to you by, um, by a loved one or someone who um, you just tremendously admired or respected. These characters from days long ago, they weren't just stories that they knew, but they were also recited often to these people by those whom they loved and trusted. So there's a whole host of saints even coming before them that may be conjured up in their mind. Okay. Let's see. I'll go to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And then he goes on, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not receive back. And then we go through all of these other characters. Now, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now we know that all babies are beautiful. Um, but what we're being, what's being said here is this, um, my understanding is that what it means is that they saw that there was favor upon Moses. It says that they were not afraid of the king's edict. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They believed that God was for them. Okay, so now we're in Exodus 4, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, now think about this at this point. Moses giving up great comfort and potentially taking on great cost. This is really going to speak to the listeners of this book by the author. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he had a greater fear in God than fear in Pharaoh's wrath and his army who would come after him and all his people. Verse 28, By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Okay, now he jumps to Exodus 14. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Okay, now here we are now in Joshua 6, looking back and forth, back and forth. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Do you remember what I talked about at the very beginning about um, being... Uh, like ability versus availability. This was the passage, um, actually, that that pastor that I had heard um, made that comment about. This was the context. 
So here the Lord said, I've given Jericho into your hand in the past tense. Do you notice that? Before the walls come down. But the Lord had said that he would do it. And so they made themselves available and willing and marched around those walls. Probably something that even they thought was pretty ludicrous. I don't know if they had heard of that before as like a battle strategy tactic of some sort. All right. So now we're up to Hebrews 31. We're getting there. All right. All right. By faith, this is my favorite part, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. That's just the start of what she did. So Rahab fears God more than she fears the wrath of the king of Jericho. That's big. Rahab is present, presented to us as a portrait of righteousness, actually. Um, Now, We don't know why she is a prostitute or stated as a prostitute. And I'm going to ask us to maybe not make assumptions that she chose to be in that position, in that role. Even to this day, there are those who find themselves in that role and they had no choice whatsoever. And they're still in that place. Nowhere in scriptures is Rahab spoken of in a dismissive or embarrassing way. Not only in Joshua 2 and 6 is she featured as the one person in Jericho who came to the assistance of the Hebrew spies and agreed to help them, she appears again as a member of the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, 5, and then a heroine of the faith here in Hebrews 11. Let us not be lost in that. Also, there's a whole bunch of colorful people, though, coming up and starting in verse 32. And they are far from flawless, but they are faithful. And friends, when we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and when we live the life of faith, faith in footsteps, then who we used to be or the mistakes that we often make, all of it is covered once and for all by him, which inspires us more to faith and more obedience to please with a cheerful heart, regardless of the circumstances that we are in. All right, so now we're up to verse 32. We're almost there. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stepped the mouth, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, if there was music playing in the background here, we would notice that the faith medley would go from major chords, I'm not musical really, but go from major chords to a minor key. Can I get a, you know, nods over here on the side. Okay. And um, so we're going from triumphs of the faithful to tribulations of the faithful. Here we are in the second part of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So here, um, the author of our study, Jen Wilkin, 
asks, how is it possible that one of the most common forms of myths, like a false teaching today, is that if you are faithful, God will grant you ease. That if you are good, he will send good your way. This is the hall of faith, friends. Their lives were hard. The audience of this author's book, Hebrews, they were also experiencing hardship. So, verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I really had to read this a few times to begin to understand it. And then I had to read a few commentaries like, oh, really, are we that great for perfection to happen? Hold on a second. No, it, it didn't take long for me to realize that was far from the truth. As we've seen earlier in our study, another way that we can consider this word or term perfection is as completion, right? So let's read it again this way. Apart from us, they should not be made complete. There's a whole story here, a whole important story we cannot miss. And can we not be so grateful that we're part of that story? So, do you hear it? Did you notice? They were commended through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. They died with the story still in motion. They did not know how it would end. Maybe they had a sense that they knew that the Lord would do something. They just didn't know what that something was. It's funny, I'm just thinking about it as I was being summoned for jury duty. I just didn't know how it was going to go. I mean, it was really hanging in balance. My life was not hard. But I wondered what was going to happen. What we see here is that being faithful does not mean being flawless. This list of characters, they are not flawless. Being faithful means he has, um, as it has been said so well, and Jen Wilkins said this, a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it is. Now we look back on the finished work of the cross, we will see this picture having unfolded, but we also turn and look toward the second coming of Christ. We will have faith that he will come. We place our faith in what is unseen because we, what we already know is true. God is exactly who he says he is. All right, so the day before yesterday, after 5.30 p.m., that's when I was able to listen to my jury summons recording, if I was going to be needed or not. And I'm not kidding you. I had no idea what the wording was going to be, but I had to keep pushing seven pound to listen to it over and over and over again because I couldn't believe what it said. The first part, you, this is what you would expect too. You do not need to report for jury service. The court's juror requirements have been met. Now here's what I want you to hear. I mean, at least it was special to me. By being available, not kidding, by being available, you have completed your service. Thank you. Click. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this record of faithful lives. And we pray, Lord, that as we look back on the record of our own failures and our own oddities and on our own moments of doubt, 
that you are there and that you call us to a life of faith that we can step into. We ask now, Lord, that you would increase our faith, help us to draw comfort from this communion with all the saints that come before us, those living now and those who have gone before us. May we be fully and completely willing and available to you. Use us, Lord, to your benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.